It's car con carne. Let's eat in the car. It's car con carne. And welcome back to the working week. It is Carcone Carne, sponsored by CNH Financial Services. Business owners, that's you, the independent business owner, wondering how to proceed, how to move forward in this new world we're in. CNH Financial Services is here to help. They offer a variety of products, ranging from traditional merchant accounts to a zero cost payment processing solution, which eliminates the expense associated with accepting Visa, MasterCard, Discover, and American Express as a form of customer payment. CNH Financial Services eTab solutions, easy to set up for your business for online ordering and curbside pickup. CNH also offers cost effective commercial lending programs, which can help get your business the money it needs to make it through these unprecedented times. To learn more, contact CNH Financial Services, 855-600-2437 or go to chfs.us. My guest tonight, he is a writer. He is an author. He is a horror aficionado. Uh, he's also a Canadian. He's from Nova Scotia. He is Peter Counter. Uh, it's, it's two hours later where you are right now. So thanks for staying up on a school night. That's my pleasure. It's my pleasure, James. Uh, you've got the Ouija board behind you as we speak. So it, have you seen the movie Host? I have seen the movie Host. On it, Shutter. It's the oh first thing I think God. of as we're on a Zoom call. <laughs> yeah, I, I loved it. It was this it's the scariest movie I've seen in a long time. Right. I and said it's the only, same thing. It's only like it's less than an hour long. Which, like, from now yeah. on, I want every movie to be an hour. But oh man, yeah, you can I watch said it the twice. same thing. it really is legitimately, yes, there are jump scares, but there are some really tense all your hair raised moments as you're watching it. Oh yeah, absolutely. It's, it's uh God, uh, the, the, at the beginning, I don't want to get too far into spoilers uh, in this, because if you haven't seen host on Shutter, just like, just do it. You can get a free trial. Exactly. <laughs> it's worth exactly. it. It made me scared of the dark the, the night after I watched it. Um, it made and- me scared of zoom calls. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I'm like, what's going on right now? I'm like, I don't know if I'm going to make it out alive right now. But how brilliant. We were talking just before we went live. And I want to talk about your excellent new collection of essays that just came out. We were talking about how COVID has forced creative people to find new ways to navigate around, to practice their craft, try to do what they do. This movie in particular, Host on Shutter, such a great example, filmed, conceived everything during lockdown, during the this pandemic crisis this story couldn't have been told in february it would it wouldn't have made any sense to anybody and it was filmed at all these actors different locations they never actually interacted in the filming of this in person and it, the whole thing takes place on a zoom call it's brilliant and like it's you said wonderful. it's the scariest movie i've seen in a while <laughs> it was also really cathartic i found because it came out pretty early on uh in the pandemic of course at the time we thought it was pretty late <laughs> Yeah, exactly. We didn't really realize, but oh, this is going to be so passe. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. But uh, it was the first thing I'd seen that uh, probably that anybody saw that actually was set during the pandemic. And there are a few few moments where I was like, "Oh, feels so good to see my experience right now reflected back at me, even if it's a way." And they're having a worse time, so it made me feel good about my life. (laughs) So your new collection is Be Scared of Everything. It is a collection of essays where you, it's an interesting, 
almost like streams of consciousness. You weave in personal accounts and tie them back to horror and vice versa. I, I guess I'll let you give your own elevator pitch on this. Yeah, well, I mean, it's a collection of uh, 29 essays on horror in culture and society and just my own life. Um, I kind of call it um, hybrid nonfiction. So it's it combines criticism because I my background is I'm a TV and video game critic. Uh, and then it combines that with, um, well, also film criticism and then personal narrative memoir. Uh, and so it examines Ouija boards, UFOs, Blink-182, the occult, Led Zeppelin, haunted houses, sleep paralysis, uh, you name it, cannibalism, I think twice, mm-hmm. zombies. Um, and uh, and through that, I guess I, I try to compose it. I think I read a lot of essay collections like we were talking about before. Uh, we went live. And I think of essay collections, good ones as albums, you know, so each, I tried to make each essay, like sort of its own track that you could have on its own. But if you read it all in in order, uh, it would sort of speak to itself, sort of like a a classic rock album. I don't know how, uh, how many albums are, are composed as albums now. Uh, uh, not enough, era. but, but th- I, I think that is a legitimate art form bands who really consider the sequencing and oh, yeah. the, the, some of the parts. Uh, and this is reason number 9 million, why I knew I wanted to talk to you beyond your writing style. I just got a sense that you liked all the same nerdy stuff that I like. So uh, <laughs> feeling good about this. So Halloween Saturday, is this go time for you? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, we're lucky we can still have uh, trick or treating and stuff <laughs> this, right. uh, out here. Um, but yeah, uh, the, that's the official, that's going to be the official launch of the book. Um, the, the day before we're talking about host, I'm participating in um, a literary event that is an online seance with an actual medium, which oh is God. exactly <laughs> host. Uh, it's going to be <laughs> no problem. Uh, <laughs> There's going to be other authors on the call and uh, we're going to do like automatic writing together. Uh, so that'll be fun. And that that's all for uh, charity for a, a Toronto crisis center. But um, yeah. Um, that's super cool. So yeah, it, this is, this is a big time for me, uh, but it's, it's, it's funny because I love Halloween because everybody else is doing horror right now. Um, but as you know, I just spent two and a half years writing this book every day has been, been halloween for me for a little while i think it's really cute when people say yeah i'm doing 31 days of horror movies in october i'm thinking (laughs) i'm trying to watch a couple horror movies a week i this 31 days that's cute but yeah yeah i mean like there's so much that i have to catch up on you know it's it's like it's kind of you you have so many um gaps in your knowledge with such a deep genre and so it's like when you get into it you're like oh man i really have to watch the rest of rob zombies catalog you know you don't need to see the last one. <laughs> Fair enough. Put, put the brakes on. Three from hell. Yeah. Just, you I'll, I'll you don't need to that do one. that. You know, I, my, when people ask, what is it that I like about horror? What is it? How can you watch scary movies? For me, it's always about the thrill, the, the adrenaline rush, the excitement. It, it, it's, it's a terrific escape. To me, it's no different from getting on a roller coaster ride. And that, that thrill of climbing to the top waiting for yourself to hit the precipice and then go hurtling down. I like that feeling. I also like, I I think watching really dark shit keeps me balanced in real life. You mentioned cannibalism. I feel that way about watching green Inferno. I can watch that and feel more centered when I walk away. Mm -hmm. You have such a better way of describing 
what horror is and how it connects with people. I'm going to, I'm going to basically audio book you here. <laughs> well, hmm. the, be the best horror stories don't take us into the truly unknown. Instead, they show us the limits of sensory experience, making us aware of the border between humanity and not so we can better appreciate our toil, anguish, and frailty. Like life, horror begins with oblivion, is animated by human resistance to that terrible lifelessness, and finally urges us, urges us to accept death as inevitable. So much better said. Uh, and that's it. I mean, that, that's a wonderful way, a very literary way to describe what it is that connects us to this kind of content. Well, thank you. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, uh, that's, I feel like there's nothing more uh, emotionally honest in terms of like, if you're looking at genres, than than horror, and it's, it's exactly why, uh, as I explained it in, in that, that's the second essay, Celebration of Life, which self-explanatory, I think. Um, but like, like you said, you know, there's the, there's the roller coaster effect of you, you're, you're going up that hill, and you can't wait to, to go over. And there is a fear there's a manufactured fear when you're on a, a thrill ride like a roller coaster that hey oh my god you know i'm doing something dangerous um but you're not you're not doing that because you're like i want i i can't wait to almost die you're doing it to feel alive right and we and that's what we that's do it. with horror all the time too you know the it people focus on on the morbidity and that's all there but you know, it's not just pictures of corpses the entire time. There's always somebody trying to live. You know, that's the point of the horror story is to not die. And then you accept it because we all die. Well, and along those lines, you talk about the alien movies, which you describe as optimistic. And I guess I'd never really thought deeply about it, the alien franchise as you have. <laughs> but these these are inherently optimistic movies by your estimation. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they're they're very uh, they're very human, I think, is um you know, it's so hard to find uh, a, a franchise in, in any genre, I think, where the human characters are primarily putting aside all of their differences to, to not die. And the, the times, the only times that violence is enacted on the actual human characters is when people have been um, hijacked by corporate ideology so that you've got characters like Burke in aliens or you know the uh or, or i guess you know the bad um the bad androids like ash in, in the first mm -hmm. one ian home um <laughs> i'm sorry spoilers spoilers a lot of people are oh, telling please. me like <laughs> come on alien came out what 1979 yeah yeah well you know all of those uh new babies out there it's a little... go watch it <laughs> uh one one topic or name that comes up a lot in this collection is H.P. Lovecraft. And mm -hmm. I, I will totally cop to not having read much of his stuff. I'm aware of his pervasive influence. You talk about um, Metallica and Cthulhu, or is it Cthulhu? Uh, what is it about Lovecraft? Uh, well, I think that he, more than anybody else, um, at least before him in who was who was getting published at least uh was able to really get to the pessimistic heart of horror which is that there are just things that we are never going to be able to understand um he coined the ideas of he, he coined the the phrase fear of the unknown it's the greatest fear of all is what we what we don't understand um and so i think that there's that but there's also i i 
kind of touch on this in the book. I think that the reason that he's so popular is because he sort of had an open access uh, philosophy with his work. So if, if, if anybody watching or listening is, uh, is unfamiliar, H.P. Lovecraft had uh, a whole bunch, uh, he had a few novels, but he was mostly a short story writer and a prolific essayist. Uh, and he wrote uh, all this very specific science fiction blended with horror called weird fiction. And it had all of these weird, strange gods that uh, have had great influence in, in heavy metal and literature and TV mm -hmm. shows like Stranger Things is very much based on H.P. Lovecraft. Um, and back then in the 20s and 30s, his contemporaries would, he would, he would collaborate them, with them and they would borrow uh, his monsters. And I think that that collaboration helped everybody sort of feel like, oh, H.P. Lovecraft, that's, that's for us. It's kind of unfortunate considering he was uh, such an atrocious human being uh, with, uh, with some serious, seriously bad politics, but. Um, <laughs> there is that. <laughs> you can we re, we've re, we're revising that away thanks to this this open access idea so you mentioned metal mm -hmm. you talk about zeppelin which it's a rite of passage zeppelin 4 is certainly a rite of passage and you talk about playing stairway to heaven backwards i mean i always loved i i'm perhaps a couple years older than you i loved the mythology of rock and roll the mythology of heavy metal that's all mm -hmm. been kind of laid to waste because of the internet and we have access to every piece of arcane data ever created uh, around a, a musician. But back then you thought, well, maybe there, there was some intent with stairway to heaven. Maybe they did mask that message about being in Satan's service or whatever it was. It, it's kind of fun to, to dig into that history. It is. Yeah. I thought, you know, you can find the backwards message on, on, um, on YouTube and, and, and that's pretty easy to do. And it used to be uh, easier in the, in the middle time to, to hear the backwards message yourself when you could actually download an MP3 or something like that. But now that everything's streaming, um, cause I, for this book, I tried to tried to do it again. Um, but I was like, I don't have an actual, I don't have the, the data to actually do this. So I had to set up a tape recorder outside of my computer speakers. And it was like, they'd gone back in time and it, the, the ritual of it kind of reignited that spark. Um, I do think that, uh, and I'm sure you know you you probably feel this way as a as a fellow Zeppelin fan. I feel like Zeppelin has maintained that mythology better than most most other bands because they, uh, you know, Jimmy Page will talk about all of the mixing and stuff, but he doesn't talk about the legendary stuff. And right. uh, I have rarely heard an uh, an interview with Robert Plant these days where he hasn't stormed out at the. Uh, mention of Led Zeppelin so it's interesting Zeppelin actually went as far as to create their own movie mythology with the song remains the same which is it, love the band it can't watch the movie at all but I mean they they went to great lengths to create their own like Lord of the Rings thing there uh, but mm -hmm. I, I love the the relationship that horror has with music and Blink-182 is perhaps a bad example uh, but <laughs> As tied to the UFO discussion in your book, you talk about Tom DeLonge and his thing for UFOs, and maybe he wasn't a crackpot all along? Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, it's a pretty uh, open, accepted knowledge. The government is is talking about it now. Japan, just a few weeks ago, started their own government program 
that is openly investigating what's called, it's not UFOs anymore. They're trying to shed the stigma. They're calling them um, unidentified aerial phenomena. So, or like uh, UAPs, I guess, or WAPs. I don't, I don't know. It's a bad idea. <laughs> yeah. Don't or it's call a good them idea. WAPs. I don't know. Yeah. yeah um, but, uh, but yeah, um, there was a front page story in the New York times. I think it was 20, 2017, 2016 or 2017, where um, a, a former Pentagon official uh, was essentially, he like came out and was like, look, there are these things that we don't understand what they are and they are threats. And then he quit. Um, his name was uh, Louis Elizondo. He quit uh, <laughs> his job at the Pentagon to join Tom DeLonge's um, To the Stars Academy of Arts and Sciences, which is uh, a an organization that is all about trying to research these phenomena. It's amazing. <laughs> if you're just joining us on Facebook or if you just somehow fast forwarded the audio episode, uh, this is Peter counter. He is the author of be scared of everything, a collection of horror related essays. One of the parts or the essays or concepts in this book that I related to most is laughing during horror movies that Nervous laugh because you mentioned Midsummer. I'm wearing a, a Midsummer shirt. You mentioned the cliff sequence in Midsummer. I saw that movie in theaters. Do you say Midsummer or Midsummer? Uh, I call it Midsummer. Yeah, I do too. I, I have a friend who calls it Midsummer, and to me, that's like uh, someone from Chicago saying, "I'd like to order a croissant." Eh, just say, <laughs> just say croissants. Can you just? Yeah, or like people who like say Barcelona, and you're like, yeah. "That's not your accent." <laughs> Let's, let's just go with the local dialect. So yeah. mid Midsummer, I, I saw it in the theater and it was one of those scenes, the cliff sequence in particular, I had that nervous laugh, that reaction. And I remember laughing out loud, like, holy shit, I can't believe I'm watching this. This is so over the top brutal. Mm -hmm. And you talk yeah. about that reaction, that, that laughing at, at horror. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's a it's a it's a huge that I talk I talk about that scene particularly because I, I was not the only person in the theater who was laughing at that point because uh, yeah when just the special effects it doesn't cut away where <laughs> other movies might and so you see like exposed eyeballs and skin just hanging off and then the despairing screaming and then there's a a mallet etc. And they set it up beautifully. They showed the mallet beforehand. So there was a little yeah. foreshadowing. You're like, I wonder what that's for. <laughs> Can't be anything good. But yeah, I think that, uh, you know, in, in, in horror and comedy, they both have, have this in common is, is that the, the stakes have to be high in order for you to care. And when the stakes get high enough, things get really, really absurd. And so, you're, you know, a laugh and a scream, both of those are just cathartic reactions. Um, I, I find when it comes to horror, laughter can give you some safe distance because usually that's a sign that you're really, really invested and your, your body's like, whoa, this is, this is fake, right? <laughs> you know? That's it. <laughs> and then there's always like uh, things you can do because, you know, it's not always just, you know, your, your midsummer cliff jumps. Sometimes there are things where things get so absurd that you can sort of give yourself some ironic distance. You know, like whenever I, wa I watch Saw, I, I try to think about Jigsaw going to Home Depot and trying to like get advice on 
from a from a cashier on like how how would hypothetically how would you invert this bear trap you know <laughs> or like take keeping his receipts to right. uh <laughs> to write write them off on his taxes <laughs> or or just clean everything off i only use this once <laughs> yeah, he's but, returning it. Yeah, it's like the woman who buys a dress for for a special event and tries to bring it back the next morning. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. With the bear trap. Uh, you, I mentioned at the beginning of our chat that you weave in a lot of personal experiences, and that, that's what I found so interesting. It's just you very deftly move around personal and observational and, and the critiques. I, I like that very much. The way you related a horrific experience on. A vacation, a, a cruise to Hannibal. I mean, that that was, a, I think, an especially gripping part of this book. Can you talk about that? Yeah, thank you. Um, yeah, so uh, some background. Uh, I don't I don't have any uh, apologies for spoiling my own essays. Um, <laughs> when I was 19, I was on a, a cruise vacation with my family, and we stopped in Costa Rica. And my dad and I uh, went on a, a walk through town, um, and on a small pier, we were accosted at gunpoint and, uh, my dad was shot in the chest and I had to carry him back to the ship. And it was a, it was a very traumatic, uh, ordeal. And I, uh, unsurprisingly developed PTSD from that. Um, oh. and so, uh, yeah, the, it's a really alienating thing having PTSD because we don't have a lot of stories that reflect the post-traumatic experience. Uh, generally, the trauma happens right before the ending, and then everything is over, and you assume that nothing else important happened to a person for the rest of their lives. Uh, unless you're watching like something with sequels, and it keeps happening again, but they don't have lasting effects. So we tell our stories that center on trauma without consequence. I was 19 when this happened, and so I had this really difficult time understanding how all of the terrible symptoms of PTSD uh, fit into what essentially I was seeing as the epilogue of my life. Um, when I watched Hannibal, um, many, many years after that, uh, I saw one of the most nuanced types of post-traumatic stories. And, um, and it really, really spoke to me. I was writing about it at the time. It was one of my first television criticism jobs. And so I really got to dive into it. And uh, yeah, it's essentially, uh, yeah, I mean, <laughs> that's sort of it, is that it really reflects it back. The, so much of the show is essentially subverting um, the CSI law, law enforcement procedural archetype, which is all about order. And it's essentially saying, there is no order. There's only chaos and further chaos. And, uh, and it just, it really perfectly mirrors the emotional experience of, uh, of learning to live sort of with this thing that will never go away. <laughs> yeah. I thought it was incredibly well, well written. And my, my biggest complaint about the book is I finished it in like a night or two. <laughs> I, I just tore th- very I tore through it. So I finished it. I'm like, this is bullshit. Where, where's the rest of this? I want more. I want to keep reading. I love that. That's a compliment. Please take oh, it. As shucks. I do. Yeah. Thank you. Hey, I would love to write another one. <laughs> I could. Um, but oh, You talk about found footage movies and the success of Blair Witch. I mean, that is something I mean, I remember vividly. I went to 
Oh God, we're the, the same building. Piper's Alley. I went to see uh, Blair Witch at Piper's Alley in Chicago, over by North and Wells. Went with a friend of mine. It was during the daytime. We went to a matinee, and we walked out of there shell shocked because it was that time before the internet spoiled everything. When the internet kind of existed, but kind of wasn't what it was now. Yeah. And there was that plausible. Did that really happen? Was mm-hmm. it, and this was this was the linchpin for all the found footage stuff that came afterward. You, you, you say it, that sort of hoax or marketing couldn't exist in the present day. You can't pass that stuff off as real anymore. But it is, it is amazing to me how that genre. I mean, it's still going. I yeah. Mean, case in point, host, which we started talking about at the beginning of this podcast. I kind of love all that stuff. And it gets a bad rap, I think. It does. It does. I think that some people have uh, difficulty suspending their disbelief when the camera has to find, when the camera has to have an excuse to be involved to show something, Mm -hmm. which is what makes Blair Witch Project so effective even now, if you were to rewatch it, is because they never take they they never take that extra leap where they're like, oh, we have to show a monster. Right. Um, so there is that. But uh, yeah, there are a lot of uh, of great found footage movies. There's a new one on Shutter, or it's not new; it's newly uh, localized for 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 North America. Uh, it's a Japanese one called Noroi, the Curse, and uh, it's uh, it's quite excellent. It's a little bit of a comedy as well. Um, but yeah, you're you're right. Uh, there's a little bit of a stigma, but for me, when, when I watch horror, I kind of want to be able to suspend my disbelief enough to be like, this is real. And they're doing the work for you with found <laughs> footage. Right. I, there are, there are a couple of uh, sequences in the VHS movies. I like very much. Mm-hmm. I just, I, I, I enjoy that genre in general. All right. So the book, which I, I didn't even mention this, the cover, the book cover of be scared of everything. It's gorgeous. I have a, I have Look at that. Here. Look at that. Hey, look at yeah. that. It, it looks like it should be a college textbook. <laughs> Shout out to uh, my designer, Megan Fildes. Um, she's the art director for Invisible Publishing. She that's all her. That's, yeah, she rules. Yeah, that's as, it's as good as it gets. That was that was practically the first thing that she showed me. And I was like, well, that's it. Yeah, we're done here. <laughs> we're done. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. And then she made it a little bit better. So So the book is Be Scared of Everything. You are Peter Counter. Uh, Mm -hmm. If you are a horror fan, it just this is this is pop culture. This is life. This is horror. Uh, It's a really enjoyable read. So I I know I have a lot of fans. I God, I've never said that phrase. I don't mean that. A lot of people who watch or or listen. I I come from the 90s where you can't say shit like that. It doesn't feel right. Um, A lot of people who pay attention to Carcon Carne, who like horror and who are into that. You're going to love this book. Peter Counter, Be Scared of Everything. It is available uh, at at booksellers that you would expect to find it at? Yeah. Yeah. Everywhere. Um, everywhere that sells books. And if they don't, they can order it for you. Uh, when are you going to do the audiobook? Oh God, I would do it yesterday. <laughs> uh, I don't know. I'm, I'm trying to figure out uh, how to do it. Um, you know, it's, it's a, it's a Canadian independent publisher. And so, you know, it's, we're a small team that's all working together. Um, and I would love for that to happen. I want it to happen. So uh dude you could do it in the right now set up a <laughs> microphone to your computer 
you, you just got to make sure the files are the right uh, frequency and enough audible. You can do this. Cool. I'll do it. And then I'll let back. you know. <laughs> uh-huh. I, I want to thank everyone who's been watching. Let's see. I got a couple comments here. I wanted to read. Uh, Jimmy says, watched host yesterday. Thought it was very good. Agreed. Joe says, what up, guys? Great topic. Love horror movies. It is that time. Uh, so thank you. I want to thank Peter Counter for being our guest tonight. Thank you, everybody, for watching.